as a business owner, um, this show, this exact same fundamental show up in your business that you are always battling trust and that's trust of your employees and trust of the consumer. And the most effective way to do uh, trust building and trust maintaining and, and growing is by telling stories. The value of your business is, is derived by the story that you tell. Welcome to the Disruptance Podcast. Here are your hosts, Eric Forney and Michael Bounds. Mike, every week on the show, we aim to disrupt the way business owners and real estate agents think about their business. And this week, I want to disrupt the way you think about stories. And what I'm trying to figure out is, is why is the Mona Lisa of any real value? What is it about Mona Lisa that made her special enough that everyone seems to know uh, what the painting of Mona Lisa is and that it's likely uh, highly valued? Does have any clue why this, who this Mona Lisa is and why she's valuable? Well, based on we had this, we had a, a similar conversation. I, I would say scarcity. Okay, I want to dig into that. Let's dig into that. Okay, so. This is so. This is the rabbit hole that that I've yes. gone down with with Mona Lisa. Right? Is you're right. Is scarcity, in my opinion. But but the but maybe the better business application is on the story. Okay. Okay. So Mona Lisa, we believe, is in in at the Louvre, right? Yep. And so um, there can only be one original Mona Lisa painting, right? And Part of the value is based nothing on logic, right? Exclusively on the story of everyone knowing what the Mona Lisa painting is, right. the scarcity of it. That's that, a part of the story that becomes the story. Right. And then you have a network and the network becomes all of the people who know the story of, for whatever reason, the significance of this Mona Lisa painting. And so the original Mona Lisa in its scarce form with its network of highly distributed people who are familiar with the, the concept of a Mona Lisa painting is what actually creates value for it. Right. Otherwise there is of no intrinsic value to a painting of Mona Lisa. I don't even know who Mona Lisa is and maybe I should right. have tried to figure that out before a podcast. Yeah. However, I don't care. Yeah. Because- and let me kind of piggyback on that because if you think about it, Throughout history, there's countless scarce paintings. Yeah, there are. So why is it that this in particular painting has so much intrinsic value where others don't? So I to- I guess you're right. That's the thing. You're, you kind of stop like scarcity and then you stop putting in the work. So by you doing that, it kind of gave me clarity. I got it. So this is where all of this comes into play is, is, you know, in the last few weeks, we've we've kind of built a little bit more. Um, I've kind of teased out the idea of of blockchain from a technology use case perspective, from a money use case perspective. In the last 12 months, um, in, in the face of a pandemic, if you haven't thought both about um, how we interact from a health standpoint, right. how we interact from a trust standpoint, standpoint, whether that's, you know, media messaging, whether that's trusted public officials, um, or if you haven't thought about um, money or the concept of having um, 
economic safety and security, then um, you've probably been living somewhere yeah, um, in rock, uh, in, in, under a rock. Certainly not yeah. in America, right? Because those are all very prevalent topics. And and so what, what has kind of come more into the forefront of, of popularity is this concept of NFTs. And so NFT is is just an acronym for a non-fungible token. And that means nothing unless you're familiar really down the rabbit hole of, of NFTs. But if we if we go up a base layer in the concept of NFTs, it, it's important to understand, in my opinion, that everything we do as a society is based on trust. Right. Trust is the actual commodity and currency that we exchange in. Okay. So Mona Lisa's value is a story that is scarce right that has a large network effect right that in order to be of the utmost value there must be some form of trust and so we believe that mona lisa exists in the louvre we can't prove that a nearly identical copy a replica of mona lisa is undeniably not the original Mona Lisa. Right. However, the general network believes that the trusted original copy lives in the loop. Yeah, somewhere between now and in the past, somebody could have swapped out, swapped out the Mona That's Lisa. That's right. If there was ever a time that one person took their eye off of the Mona Lisa and one person is not enough for trust, so there have, would have had to have been multiple parties scribing a ledger of every event that during the transport of the Mona Lisa to have 100% unanimous trust that that original lives in the loop. Right. And so we don't think that way until you go down this rabbit hole. However, um, when you look at the concept of collectibles and values and possessions, you start to realize that humanity has um, the most illogical valuation system for almost everything in life that is not a utility. Yeah. Almost everything that we collect and possess. Beanie babies. Yeah. <laughs> Our, Do y'all remember those longer remember. burger baskets? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's probably yeah. people still collecting those. <laughs> there probably is still a niche market for longer burger baskets. You're right, dude. I was uh, like, what are longer burger baskets? I had what, no idea. What's interesting, though, is, is that... There was value that was different from a Longenberger basket to a a knockoff, right? Non-Longenberger basket. That's right. And so (laughs) on the shoe market right now, you you have genuine Nikes and replicate Nikes that have different valuations to them, right? On the secondary market. A Rolex has an identifying card that gives it value. Tiffany's has a box that distinguishes it and, and gives it value. You bought a car. Throw, yeah, throw that out there. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so this was in a long time ago. So you've talked about you've talked about this Viper that you own, right? Yes. Or owned. Yes. And what was the story and the trusted scarcity to your to your Viper? Um, this the Viper. There was only ten of them in the world, and I was extremely proud of that. So everybody that I that compliment me on the car, I let them know. And that added value to because just to know that there's only 10 of this car in the world is special. So the so the scarcity created the story, the story the narrative. Yeah. And, and it made you, it worth more. That's I right. paid and, more and for you it. tell the story. And I'm quite sure that I do the exact same thing. Yeah. And, and I, in fact, I believe that we all do the same thing, especially yeah. in that collector space or in that 
social network we we tell the story uh, uh, because it adds value to it yeah. that story in that value creates um really what is like social hierarchy yeah. to some degree social proof social yeah. like they oh you know that's right yeah it, it. it validates your position <laughs> in validation the social network. is the word that i was looking for and and so as we go down this rabbit hole of nfts i think it's understandable that you need to understand the concept of of what is valuable and what role does trust play in it yeah so in your if you don't trust that it if you don't trust that it's real or that it's scarce or that there are 10 of those vipers yeah then yeah. you're not going to pay the premium or you know in that product so that's right that's where the story comes in you have how do you trust that story and so where i think people get people get lost on this concept of of nfts or on blockchain is making the next transition which is to digital and so we understand what it's like to have a scarce physical resource like a Viper, like a Rolex, like um, a Mona Lisa. But it's hard to bridge the next gap, I think, at least for old people like me, yeah. um, to bridge the gap to digital. Right. And because I can't think about I don't I have a hard time understanding that I could own something digitally. Right. And yet. Um, Can we time out? Yeah. Can we, I, I want to give some context to that. Okay. So what spurred this conversation was that I needed clarity around a painting that just sold for how much? A oh, so yeah. So artwork, $69.5 million roughly. So a digital painting. So yeah. like a screenshot sold for <laughs> $69 million. Yeah. So I'm on this journey, my wealth journey, and I'm kind of at the bottom and I don't understand that. So I asked Eric, explain this to me. Yeah. <laughs> so he did a really good job explaining this. So can you okay, yeah, start so, there? Yeah, absolutely. So recently Christie's, Christie's <laughs> auction house had this art auction for digital art. And digital art sounds really weird, right? Or not weird, but it's, it, it's, Certainly much different than a physical Mona Lisa painting, right? Yeah. And you're a picture it's a picture of a it, it quite literally could be on your phone, your screensaver, yeah. or it could be a JPEG of, I can take a picture yeah. with my phone and that's digital art. Correct. Correct. And so here's where here's where <laughs> blockchain technology becomes in the concept of why that set of that artwork sold for $69 million. Now, I have no idea whether that was actually what it should have sold for or not. I'm not in the right, art valuation yeah. <laughs> space, but here's why it had value. So if you, if, if you take a picture of something and you send it to me mm -hmm. and then I send it to 10 other people, post it on social media, it goes viral. It ends up in distribution to 3 million people who had the original. You, you do, the well, original person, yeah, I you, did. the I person did. who yeah. took the photo. Yes. Okay, how do we distinguish between, um, if, if, that, if that becomes really uh, viral and then becomes valuable because of the network effect, right. 700 million people now are, are aware of this photo, let's say, um, which means the original likely now has some value in the collector's story space. Right. Who, how do I determine who the original owner is? Because I, I you had, took the original photo right. and sent it to me. Right. And then I sent it to someone else. And then the mass distribution occurred somewhere in that chain. Right. Well, maybe I have the most 
the second most um, indisputable original file because you're the first, you sent it to me first. Right. But somewhere along the chain, it gets significantly watered down as to who has the original digital copy versus who has all these extra of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. And the values in the story. That's right. And if no one has the original, then the value is significantly lessened and watered down all throughout that chain. And so what, what we found, what you find is that almost nothing has value digitally at this point in time until the premise of NFTs came along, which was to differentiate the original from the mass duplicated copies right. that were distributed virally or on social media or everywhere else. So now you have an original. That's right. So the artist who created this, you know, $70 million art Beeple is, is, I is, wish is, he would give me a loan. Right. right. Some of that money. Right. right so, so, <laughs> so Beeple is the artist who, who was on exhibit. So, um, Beeple is able to sell the, the original digital copy of this through, the technology process of non-fungible tokens, which is essentially nothing more than um, an immutable public distributed ledger okay. um, of information. So if that if you're not familiar with the concept of a public immutable distributed ledger, um, imagine it being that um, if if you could have the most primitive way of have creating a ledger, it would be Moses and the scrolls. Right. Because there are a lot of easy ways to knock off Moses's scrolls. Right. And, and the, the best way to, to prove trust is if everyone had a copy of Moses's scroll, original scroll, right. And then anytime there was a new entry into the scroll, everyone in, updated their copy of the scroll. Got it. And therefore, if at any point in time someone attempted to uh, put an entry into the scroll that was not accurate, everybody would know. Everyone would know because yeah. it became a it was a publicly distributed copy of the accurate information. And so through what it amounts to be basically a public verification process, you can have the checks and balances of knowing what is the original based on consensus yeah. that is not um, susceptible to people. Got it. Yeah, because to hack it's, it. a, it's, a, it's like Wikipedia. I mean, it, every, it can change right yeah, there in front look of everybody. Yeah. Money, cash yeah. can be counterfeit, right? Yeah. The government has uh, governments for, for, you know, as long as society has existed, have always battled counterfeit money. Right. And the concept of blockchain technology being currency right. is is in a, an attempt to um, slow down or <clears throat> stop altogether counterfeiting in general. You know, when we're we're thinking about this and I'm, my, my noodle gets going, I start thinking and um you know, it sounds absolutely ridiculous that <laughs> that somebody pays sixty nine million dollars for a, a piece of art or a piece of um, a digital art, a screenshot. But then the more I think about it, if you rewind yourself back, however many thousands a year the Mona Lisa was 
Yeah. It's literally a piece of canvas with pigment. That's right. It's literally, that's right. It's a piece of cotton, right? <laughs> or or back fabric. Then, yeah. Somebody was like, dude, somebody's going to pay what? Yeah. That? She's that's not right. even that hot. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, you know, for real. Absolutely. So, like, it's so hard because we're like fast forward however that's right. many years. Yep. And it's just like, so what's is I'm 100% with you when you go down this when you go down the the path of of logic versus irrational belief systems that we've just all inherited we just do it's hard to it's hard to make the next leap to understanding digital value right and and you know one of the things I I've recently kind of understood is that like what is the you you know you hear people talk about well in a digital ecosystem or in a digitally based physically enhanced ecosystem of the future um there will be there will be real estate that you that you can buy digitally yeah and that didn't make any sense to me yeah that to me isn't like virtual reality that's absolutely right so guess what's gonna happen yeah so that becomes the value right is so in so, you know, Google now has their um, augmented reality Google Maps. And so, I, you know, the last time I traveled, I'm in Austin, Texas. I'm walking downtown. I've got my phone out. I, I want to go to a destination to walk to a destination. I pull up my phone. The camera turns on. Google augmented reality um, shows me how many blocks uh, I need to walk um, what, right. where, where the signs are, what's ahead of me. It knows based on the buildings mm-hmm. from the camera on my phone, where I am and how far away I am of everything. Mm-hmm. Now imagine that the next layer of owning real estate digitally is that if that you could buy the corner store mm-hmm. downtown Austin and put a picture of yourself on it and your own advertising. Right. So yeah. So now on Google Maps, your billboards effectively become space that you own. Anytime someone walks past that corner store, they would see your marketing, your digital, your digital billboard, your digital real estate. Yeah. And and so understanding that that people played the Pokemon Go. Dude, people was losing weight. There was yeah. like, we might lost like a hundred pounds. Right, more. <laughs> right. So I didn't, I, 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 know. I didn't play Pokemon Go. I didn't did you? My wife No, did. I don't know. My any, family I, did. I missed the Pokemon generation. Right. So yeah. did, I feel like you probably were a Pokemon. I, mi- I missed oh, I it. definitely was in on that. Were you yeah. on it? And I, I was going to even say too, on the AR train, there is like uh, Apple Glass or oh, like yeah. there's been rumors of Apple coming out with their own. Like Google tried with Google yep. Glass years yep. ago, and I think it was just ahead of its time. But I do think with Apple, they always seem to like hit it with like design, and I could see that becoming like so. Then you're walking around and you're getting your directions yep. through your sleek little glasses, and then all of a sudden you see ads, yeah, or you see just something you see things in a different like dimension that other people without those glasses don't see. Yeah. yeah. So this is where it starts to get trippy is, is that remember that some Terminator stuff, right? Some trippy yeah. stuff. Man. <laughs> this is where it's it gets really trippy. We're talking about other realities now. And because yep. what you realize is that in order to have all of this work of most effectively, the, the big, in my opinion, the biggest threat to a digital world, besides the fact that humans would f- lose all communication and, oh and social skills, but would be corruption. Yeah. Right. And so 
One of the primary ways to avoid corruption is via trust and decentralization. And the de- the decentralization of it means that that power is spread really yep. as a democracy, right? A, a true democracy, not what we see and not believe today. to be. That's we don't right. have that today. That's right. That we've that water, we've watered both that sides down. Can agree to. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we can get behind that one hundred percent. Right. So. <laughs> So the decentralized digital world would definitely changes um, the ability for corruption to be significantly lessened. Violence then becomes really the only effective mechanism of centralization yeah. or threats of violence at that point. Um, how, however, eventually the the game theory of decentralization should still win out over the currency of violence it's just that in like micro cases that would be that would be the effective currency i think that's a whole nother podcast that's a whole different man. rabbit hole <laughs> that's a whole so, like people are watching what does he talk about violence <laughs> like, like we have talked about this before and i know what he means so that's a whole nother podcast but, <laughs> right so war is an amazing equalizer yeah, of power that's what yeah, i mean yeah. um however yeah that's uh, that's what we're talking yeah about. however um when we think about this, this is where the NFT concept comes into play. I'm going to, I'm going to layer in business to it next. Um, yeah. How does this affect my business? Yes. Perfect. <laughs> I've got it. Um, so, so the, when you hear NFT, which seems to be like the trendy, sexy topic on the internet right now. And, and, you know, when you look at assets and wealth building, the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing sectors of the last five years, but especially of the last 12 months is blockchain technology. Um, and especially the NFT sector. Um, I, we, I was just saying before we got on that, um, one, one of the NFT, um, companies has gone like 70 X returns in the last um 60 days Mm -hmm. so you know if you put a thousand bucks in you walked out in theory with you know seventy thousand that's um, a good day in in a very short period of time so um so it's a rapidly growing space that that appears to be on the verge of disrupting trust and trust is the currency because right now the only way that you if you're allergic to peanuts yeah the best trust system that we have for you as um, a consumer of prepackaged foods is for someone to print on the label product is peanut free made in peanut free facility right right you have to believe with out a shadow of a doubt that your health is in jeopardy yeah. and you have to trust that label. Right. And it could be corrupted, right? It right. could be that someone printed that label um, to sabotage you or swapped out the product for you right. because you have a peanut allergy and you could go down this whole trust rabbit hole. However, that's the genesis of it was that if that, um, that trust mechanism Receipts. could be trusted by mathematics by an immutable ledger that that it would be so much easier for society to exchange trust yeah actually via trust v- yeah there's nothing that can fudge that your anti-vaxxers would have a really hard time yeah. in a 
in a trust-built society. To be honest with you, I think that that's our problem. Is that trust we totally is, lack right. trust. Absolutely. Both sides do. lack trust. That's right. And so that is literally our problem. That's right. And so where this all ties together as a business is, is so w- what you what you realize that when you go down this rabbit hole is, is that as a business owner, um, this show this exact same fundamentals show up in your business that you are always battling trust and that's trust of your employees and trust of the consumer. And the most effective way to do uh, trust building and trust maintaining and, and growing is by telling stories. The value of your business is, is derived by the story that you tell oftentimes. Right. And you, you attract people to your vision by always telling a story. You attract people to your vision by having them hear the story enough times that they trust it. Right. In order to do business with your business. Right. We, we have gone down the story narrative so much as a society that the De Beers company has right. taken a, a worthless gym and made it an expectation of how much you love someone. Right. You, I want to tell you, my, people see my wife's ring, they're like, your husband must really love you. I'm like, no, when I couldn't afford that, I really loved her too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It has nothing right. to do with the that's ring. Right. So we right. conditioned. Buy a story. Yeah. And so as a business owner, your job becomes, how do you tell your narrative, your story over and over and over and over to attract the people who trust your brand and trust your story and your mission? As the CEO and the owner of your business, it becomes your sole responsibility to be the chief communication officer. Yeah. And the value is derived by, obviously by the product that you provide. However, there are plenty in this in this podcast of examples of worthless products yeah a canvas with some oil paintings on it yeah that still have value because of the story and the trust behind them right and that is your that becomes the job that you never can get out of because it is the most important job that you have is you always have to drive the story that story creates value for your business Right. It's the little happy little trees, little happy little trees. (laughs) And then one day you wake up and you find that you're collecting uh, playing cards like Tyler. Tyler. Yeah. You want to geek out on your your cards? All I'm going to say is the playing card market is hot. And and I mean, the playing card market, all like maybe 50,000 of us. Right. Like I had no idea until we went down this conversation that like this dude has played like not like trading cards, not like Michael Jordan nope. rookie card. Not even like like just good old Euchre. poker cards. Yeah, right? you're gonna play. We're gonna play, po- play, play Uno when we get done. When we or not Uno, we're gonna play I'm, solitaire. I'm like absolutely blown away that there's this like subculture of people that collect cards. It's yeah. Are you, it's the same kind of people too that I feel like collect sneakers. Okay, I'm not gonna like. I don't want to like <laughs> diss anybody, but like it's okay. Let the because I've got sneakers too. I do have like a handful of sneakers because i was like oh i need that yeah. because they're only limited they're limited yeah. you know and then i like it's the story we tell it's the story yeah exactly and so but then like with playing cards there's all kinds of like backstory on some of them like the designs the people that design them the how many are released That's at a story. certain time and so then within you, this- you recently bought a set of playing cards from like 
a 15 year old like so this dude yeah Yeah, so yeah so the story behind fontaine and i hope i get it right but is uh he he, is like 10 years ago like you can go on fontaine's um youtube channel uh playing cards and you'll see this dude like he's like 13 15 years old maybe 10 12 years ago and like he's just teaching magic tricks or like card tricks but then like he was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to have my own deck of cards. Does it? All the YouTube comments blow up and everybody wants his cards. And then so you fast forward to today from, you know, seven, maybe. T- I don't know. I don't know any exact dates here, but like these were like probably eight years ago when so he released the very is, first the one. story that yeah. this guy yeah. built a believable interesting story to to gain credibility and trust and therefore they derive value yeah it's the exact people are and like, he's yeah. made a business out of it yeah, yeah. it's like that, like he just he brought value first yeah. by teaching people how to do things and then he just like had no intention of designing a deck of cards for yeah. mask and like yeah. purchase and so he just wanted to use something different so he just made his own and then now that first edition's worth 600 700 a deck and you can get cards. uncut yeah, sheets of it. 600 bucks for playing cards yeah, bro and just he, one yeah. like, i just thought one. you could get that was in the airport or something yeah like, dude airport cards are so, so understand expensive. as a business owner that if you can get 700 bucks for a set of playing cards on a story 25 years old you're yeah, you're, he's 25 you're soul, he's crushing it your primary role as a business owner becomes telling a story yeah yep I, I, I bought the cards because I, I believe in the hype because I was like, I think it's pretty cool that if you stay consistent with something for like that long of time, to me, every time I pull out a deck of cards, I'm like, damn, this kid just straight up started doing something for fun of it yeah. and stuck with it, got really good at it, taught people how to do it, and now literally has to find unique ways to sell the cards so that people can try to get them because a new they sell out so fast all the time. So yeah. it is just and like, go ahead. I'm sorry. Playing cards, man. So, and another thing that that tells me is how many times in our business that we haven't planned, this is our plan. I want to go out and do magic tricks or I want to go out and do something. And then God comes in and says, you know what? I want enough people to see this, this, this playing card. And that's the business. And yeah. he literally pivoted on that. Yeah. Yeah. So how many times in business do you want to do it one way and then somebody's telling you do something else and then you just stay really stuck in what you're doing? So um, that's a great story. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So all of the all of the values derived. There's nothing there. There are there are subtle differences. Yeah. But they but they they still play poker. Print at the same factory that you can buy a bicycle deck at. Yes. There is no other value other than it's the that story, that, story right. that you just told. Luxury goods tell a story. The difference between collectibles and ordinary. The difference between um, getting market value for your services as a business owner and getting exponentially more is all based on stories that build trust. 